You're listening to the PFWC podcast with me, Carly Compton, a podcast created to help you learn strategies to overcome that bully inside your head, ways to practice self-love, awareness and understanding of eating disorders, how to embrace the body you have been given and develop a healthy relationship with food, exercise, and most importantly, yourself. Here at the PFWC podcast, we find it important to create a safe space and a place for individuals to come to learn how to create that lifestyle that works for them. We're dropping comparisons, fighting unrealistic beauty standards, and coming together to show the world that all bodies are beautiful and that healthy looks different on everyone. Sit back, relax, and get ready to grow together. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the PFWC podcast. I am so excited for today's episode. I'm sitting down with my friend Aparna, um, an amazing woman who I came across on Instagram, and I'm so excited to sit down with her and have um, an amazing conversation about topics that are really, really important and topics that we really haven't covered yet here on the podcast. So welcome, Aparna. Thank you for having me. Of course. I'm so excited to have you. Um, first things first, I would love for you to introduce yourself. Give us a little bit um, about who you are and all of that good stuff. Yeah. Um, so my name is Aparna. Um, I am from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I'm a second generation South Asian woman. So that means my parents immigrated from India almost like 35, 40 years ago. Um, So they are, yeah, so they came here and then I was born and raised here. I have an older sister and um, yeah, I've been practicing. I do private practice in Philadelphia. I've been practicing for about seven years now. Um, I do individual, couples, family, and group therapy. I love that. Yeah, I was looking at your website a couple days ago and I was just so impressed because you do offer so many different um, types of therapy, you know, not just one-on-one, but also the group and all of that stuff, which I think is amazing. Um, so first thing I really want to get into is hearing a little bit about what it was like, um, you know, being raised by immigrant parents, um, here in the U S cause I know we have, you know, followers here of the podcast who are probably also second generation who, you know, were raised by immigrant parents here in the U S. So I would love to hear how that was for you. So it's, it's a very interesting journey. Um, I think so when I was growing up, uh, so my mom's actually a social worker. Um, she did her master's in India and then came, came to the States. Um, so she, from a very young age, always instilled in us like the importance of like talk and like empathy and connecting with people. And so in that aspect, I think it was a little bit different than generally what immigrant parents expect from their kids and like how they're raised. Um, But I think in a lot of ways, it it was always difficult for me because I was trying to find a balance between what they wanted and like what I wanted. Mm -hmm. Um, And oftentimes it's, uh, they say things like, you know, we came to this country, we like left our country to have, you know, to like, make a better life for for ourselves and our kids, right? And then oftentimes I would think, but I never asked for this, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's really difficult because there's, it's that guilt. Like I think a lot of children of immigrants feel guilt and feel like they owe their parents for the sacrifices. And so you're caught, you're caught between doing what you want to do and also pleasing them. Mm -hmm. It's a really tough balance. 
Oh yeah, I can imagine. Um, I mean, I have some friends who also were raised, um, you know, by immigrant parents who moved here and kind of had that same sort of standard of like, we moved here, we did all of this, you know, we've been working really hard. We need you to appreciate that. Um, and yeah. so I guess I would love to hear kind of how you made it through that feeling. How did you, how did you get through those feelings of like guilt and those feelings of shame? So I think this is actually very much a work in progress for me still. Um, I often think about how they had the, they made a choice to leave their country, their families. And in a lot of ways that itself is a very brave thing to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And so why am I spending my life owing them? And like, sort of like you're reverting back, right? You're doing, you're taking steps back if I do what they want me to do, mm -hmm. as opposed to moving forward, right? And I like to think of it in terms of like generational healing, right? So like they took a step forward and they came to the States and they were like, okay, we're going to set up physical safety, make sure you're fed, make sure you're clothed, right? And now because that's all set up for me, I can take a step forward and work on emotional healing so I can attain um, emotional safety, I can have more fulfilling relationships, right? But if I were to say, okay, I'm actually going to pay them back, or I'm going to do what they want me to do, I'm actually, I would never actually be able to obtain this emotional healing. And mm -hmm. it would very much, I would feel very stuck. Yeah. So what did that, I mean, I'm sure there was a conversation and there was a time that you, you had with your parents. Um, and I'm sure that was a very difficult conversation to have. I don't know if it was one conversation or if it was, I'm sure it was multiple conversations. Um, but what did that, what did that look like in regards to your relationship with your parents when you decided, Hey, I really need to make this growth and I really need to somehow heal this guilt and this shame. Um, I would love to know kind of what that looked like for you and your parents. I think it's, it's, it's very much, it's several conversations, mm -hmm. right? And I think for me, it started with like being really afraid and actually not saying anything and being very passive about it and being, okay, I guess this is what I'm going to have to do. I'm going to have to do what they want me to do. Right. And I remember actually before I decided to become a therapist, my parents really wanted me to go to dental school. Mm -hmm. It was like, you can either be a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer or like something that they knew would make a lot of money. Even though my mom was a social worker, mm -hmm. um, she was like, you're not gonna make money. Like you really have to, you know, do something that you, that guarantees income. And it makes sense, right? Like they, that's all, like they're very much in survival mode. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, I really had to push against that because I wasn't doing well in school. And I, and I knew that that's just not where my, my heart lied. And so I had to, I, it was a lot of really difficult conversations around telling them like, this is what, if in order for me to feel satisfied and in order for me to feel happy, I need to do these things for myself. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, I think, it's easier for parents to understand and relate to you when you talk from a place of emotion of like hurt and fear rather than coming off as really defensive and angry. Right. Mm -hmm. And so that was the key for me was I had to keep reminding them like, this is important to me. This is what I need to do. This is what's making me feel satisfied and happy. And that's all really what parents want, right? They want their kids to feel happy. They want them to feel settled and satisfied. And so over time they started to get, 
comfortable with the idea of like, okay, so she's not going to become a dentist and she's going to pursue her passion. But I think in so many ways, like it was, there was so much fear for them. And I had to sit with that. Like I had to sit with, I'm making my parents really anxious. And it was, it was like a a lot of very uncomfortable times when they were like, is she going to make it? And I was like, oh my God, like they came to the country for me. And like, am I going to make it right? And And it was very scary. But we like, it was very much a growth period. Mm-hmm. And um, like now things are great. Like they are like, wow, we're on the other side. And like, there's, you know, like they feel very, I feel very settled. They feel really settled. And it's, it's sort of like trusting the process. And that's mm-hmm. something that I think is very difficult for immigrant parents to understand is like, sometimes you just have to trust the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. And I think that, you know, it's, it's so brave of you to be able to have that conversation, you know, especially I need for myself, I, I, I don't have immigrant parents, but I had parents who did set like hold me at very high standards and having those conversations were never easy. Um, for example, I, swore I was going to be an elementary school teacher from the time I was in like elementary school until I went into college and halfway through college, I realized this actually isn't what I want to do anymore. And so there was like that fear of, okay, how do I tell people this? How do I tell my parents, Hey, I actually don't think I want to be an elementary school teacher anymore, even though I'm halfway through college and I've spent all this money on my, you know, college education to become an elementary school teacher. Um, But again, it was that reminder of this isn't what makes me happy and I'm not going to be happy if I don't actually take the steps to, you know, go into a field that I actually find joy in. And so thankfully I was able to, you know, have that conversation with myself and my parents and being like, I know this is really difficult for you to understand. Um, Neither of my parents also, my dad didn't go to college. Um, he kind of, he was in the trade work industry for his entire life. And then my mom was a nurse and she just did a nursing program. And, um, so for me, for them to see me, you know, almost done with college and being like, I actually don't think I want to do what I've spent all these years doing for them. It was like, what? Like we've put all this money into your education and now you're going to change your mind. <laughs> and so, yeah. You're probably that, really scared. Yeah. They were scared, especially because I was transitioning, you know, from elementary education into the eating disorder field. I didn't know exactly what I wanted to do in the eating disorder field. So when they asked, it was not very clear. <laughs> it was, I know I want to do this and I want to work with these types of people, but I didn't really, I wasn't able to give them an exact like career. And that was really scary for them. So I definitely understand, you know, have having to have those really difficult conversations, um, and being like, this is what I want in order to be happy. And again, like you said, I think if you're able to, convey those things with emotion. Um, because like you said, our parents want us to be happy. They want us to be happy. They want us to be successful. Um, but oftentimes I think that the happiness and the joy will be more important to them. Um, eventually, you know, maybe not at first, maybe at first they, they want, they're like, are you sure you're going to be able to succeed in that? Are you going to be able to make money? Are you going to be able to support yourself? Um, 
because, you know, that's also really important to them. So I get that. I went through that with my parents and it wasn't easy, but now here we are and, and I'm starting my MSW and they're, you know, so proud of me. And I think that being able to see that in your parents and having those conversations with them of like, look what I'm doing. And I'm really thankful Mm -hmm. we were able to talk about this and and work through this. Um, I think that is, you know, it makes it all worth it. Definitely. for sure. And I think another part to that is um, I think oftentimes parents have expectations for their kids. Right. Mm -hmm. And when I think we have to get comfortable with letting them down, right? Mm -hmm. Like, just because you're not meeting their expectations, right? It doesn't mean that you're not successful or that you're not going to make it right. Like you have to think about like, what are these expectations for yourself? Mm -hmm. And in the process, that does mean that we're going to let people down. We're going to let our parents down, but that doesn't mean that they're going to love you any less or that they're going to think that you're unsuccessful, right? It's just a different path. And like, that's, again, I think it's the trusting that process Mm -hmm. and allowing for that to unfold. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, really important to remember because I talk about this a lot on my page. I consider myself a chronic people pleaser. Um, I've spent, you know, like (laughs) pretty much my entire life just doing everything to please others around me, like literally living my life to get some sort of gratitude or, you know, validation. thank you, validation from others, whether that be my parents, my grandparents, my siblings, my friends, my teachers, like my coaches, all everyone in my life, I was literally living in order to get validation from them. Um, and so I think that that made that conversation a little bit harder. Um, this was also before I started my whole journey of like, stepping out of that and really learning how to make myself happy and find, you know, love within myself and my eating disorder recovery. So all of this, all of that was before that entire journey. So it felt really impossible. (laughs) And I was like, I don't know if I can, if I'm ever going to make them happy. I don't know, you know, like all of these things. But like you said, you know, I had to understand that I'm not always going to make them happy. I'm not always going to make everyone happy. And that's really, actually an extremely freeing feeling it is it it takes it removes so much off of your back it really allows you to just be like i'm doing this for me and if someone gets upset about it that's okay you know like i'm not going to please everyone and i think that's you know really important to remember when you are in a position where you're deciding okay should i do this for me or should i do this for others or should I do this to make others happy? Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that is something that's really, really important to remember because I have been there and dealt with that and it's, it's honestly crippling. It is. Yeah. Because you're, you're, you're never like actually prioritizing yourself. Like Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm a recovering people pleaser (laughs) and definitely a work in progress. And it's, Mm -hmm. it's so like the, the emotional labor that you put into pleasing others and putting others needs before yours is so tiring. Mm -hmm. And like, once you start to realize that you matter just as much or, or you should matter more Mm -hmm. then it becomes like, like you were saying, it becomes so freeing. Yeah. And I honestly, I'm always telling people, especially the women that I work with is that if you're in a good place with yourself and you, you know, are appreciating yourself and you're holding yourself at a high value and you're, and you believe that you're worthy of all of these things that you dream of, I truly think that 
in my experience, at least my relationships got better. Um, when I started to really value myself and start doing things for myself, one, because I think I was a lot happier. I was just happier with life because I was doing things that made me happy. Um, and so because I was happier, I was friendlier around people. I wasn't so tense. I was, you know, more outgoing. Um, and so I think that my relationships with people were a lot better for that reason. Yeah. Right. Cause you um, show up like with your, your cup full exactly. as opposed to your cup empty and you're like pouring from an empty cup and that's really, mm-hmm. that's really exhausting. Yeah. 100%. Um, so the next question I really wanted to ask and kind of dive into was kind of, what was your motivation to becoming a marriage and family therapist? Um, was it, you know, due to your background in your relationship with your family? Um, so I would just love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So a big part of my journey into becoming a therapist is, um, like I was saying, my, so my mom is a social worker. And so when we were younger, we did a lot of volunteer work around um, just talking with people. So like we would go to like nursing homes, we would go to like um, safe homes for domestic violence survivors. And like, we'd just like sit and chat with the women or we'd chat with the, the old folks. And and that itself just created such a safe space. Right. And I realized that's where I like learned like the power of talk right? Mm-hmm. And like connection and validation and, and people feeling seen and heard. And I think that's sort of what really sparked my interest in um, becoming a therapist. And my, my specialization is um, working with like South Asian families and couples. And um, because in oftentimes in the South Asian community and South Asian culture, um, people don't ask for help. Mm-hmm. And people, um, there's a lot of secrecy, right? And there's a lot of like, what will people think? And so, I mean, there was a lot of that dynamic to my family. Um, like we weren't really, like family problems were like just stayed within the family. We were like, not really, we were told like, you know, don't tell this to anybody or like, what will people think if they know that this is going on, right? And it can be even really small things like struggling with anxiety means, mm-hmm. oh, like there's like so much meaning to that, right? And so I, I wanted to, to be able to provide a space for South Asians to feel like, okay, if I come to her, at least maybe she can understand the culture and understands like what, how much it took for me to get here. Right. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes that's what my clients say is they're like, oh, wow. Like I don't, there's like so much I don't have to explain when I, when I, when we meet. Right. And wow. I think just that itself creates a safe space. Um, and it like, I, I want to just like normalize getting help. Right. Mm-hmm. Like we're all human at the end of the day. We're all, everybody has problems and, problems don't go away. <laughs> and so like, we want to normalize asking for help. We want to normalize um, therapy and like seeking help. And, and that, that was, that's just, that was just like a big motivator for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's so incredibly empowering that you're able to, you know, provide that space for um, couples and families, you know, who feel like saying those things or asking those things are aren't normal, um, you know, or are, are meant to be kept a secret. Um, cause I can imagine, you know, the feeling that, that feeling that you, you get when you see couples open up, when you see families open up and share things that they've been hiding or keeping in for so long. Um, I can imagine that's a very, very empowering feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would love to also hear, you know, anyone who's listening, who, you know, maybe wanting to go into therapy as well as a career, as a, 
um, profession. What advice do you give those who are going into that field? Was there anything that was really difficult for you as you were achieving your um, therapy license? What was that like for you and what advice do you have? Yeah, so grad school is really interesting. You, you, you're often faced with like your own stuff, mm -hmm. right? When you're working with clients and you're in grad school learning about these different theories, right? Like you, we automatically apply everything to ourselves. And so that was a really interesting and very difficult process because prior to entering grad school, I'd actually never seen a therapist or, or like really talked about issues. I mean, I, I would have considered myself pretty secretive around those things. I mean, now I'm like much more open about it. Mm -hmm. um, so entering grad school, I was like, oh, I'm going to help everyone, but I'm fine. Right. And then you're like met with all these like these issues and theories and all these like, and then, so we started seeing clients pretty immediately in grad school. And I was like, wow, like there's so much that is impacting me. And so my advice is definitely like really like get to know yourself mm -hmm. while you're in school, actually prior, probably prior to starting grad school is like get to know yourself, see a therapist. Right. And like, start to like learn about like, what are your triggers? Like, what are your, what are your family dynamics? Right. Like, these are all things that impact the therapeutic process. And if, if you're not, if you're not aware of it, you don't really know what you bring into the therapy, into the room when you're seeing clients. Mm -hmm. And so that can really impact what you say and how you act. So that's really important. Yeah. I, I mean, I, like I said, am starting my MSW next week. Um, and I feel like I'm, in a very good place with myself right now. And we're in terms of like my relationship with myself and my recovery, you know, I, I feel very much like I am recovered and I'm in this really good place, but I also haven't had the types of conversations that I will be having in grad school. Um, kind of like you, what you were saying, you know, learning about all these different theories and thinking, oh, well, I actually <laughs> um, am exactly like that. <laughs> And then you start to like really question yourself and you're like, am I where I really am? Right. So for me, you know, I'm feeling a little bit of anxiety around that, but, um, you know, I, I'm thankful for the opportunity to get to go back for my, for my master's. Uh, but I think that's such great advice. I think that, you know, a lot of times people don't think about those things. They don't think about, oh, maybe I should make sure I'm in a good place mentally before I start this like huge journey. Yeah. Um, because your master's, it's not easy. It's not just, you know, it's not like undergrad. <laughs> you're really, right. you know, you're really focusing on a certain topic. And like you said, getting in and working with clients right away. Um, I start my internship my first year. So I will also be working with people as pretty much as soon as I start my master's. So yeah, I think that's such important advice, especially, and not even just for therapy, for anything, for anything really in general is just making sure you're in a good place, a headspace before you take on something so big. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. And I think like just self-awareness is, mm -hmm. is so important right? Like regardless of whether you're going to grad school to become a therapist or in general, like self-awareness and like knowing your role in relationships and the impact you have on people is so important and like can really take you so far because that's how we learn about what are our negative patterns? What are our, like, what is my role in this relationship? How am I impacting people? How are people mm -hmm. impacting me? And like that, that's just so much information, so much helpful information to help you like continue to heal and move forward mm -hmm. and like really deepen these relationships.
Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, something that I'm always, that I've, I've talked a lot about with, um, people that I've worked with in the eating disorder field is like, don't be afraid to be like, okay, maybe this year isn't my year to start grad school. You know, if you, for example, I've worked with people who are still very much in their eating disorder and they're the way for them to recover and the way for them to heal is to really put 100% of their focus into their recovery. And I know that for some people that can be really scary because they're like, well, that's a whole nother year. I can't put off another year. Um, but for me, especially, you know, I think it's really important to put 100% of that focus into your recovery and getting better and getting to a place where you feel confident in yourself and you're confident in your recovery, confident in your ability to, you know, be in school and do well and put that focus in that you want to put in. So I'm always telling people like, it's okay if you have to take another year. It's okay if you have to take another semester. You know, I, I know that it can be scary because you're like, I want to start right away. (laughs) Yeah. um, (laughs) I think it's so important to make sure you're in a really, you're not a really good place, but at least a good place where you're not, focusing so much on your recovery that you're, you're not getting as much out of school. Um, because I think that your recovery is so important, (laughs) incredibly important. And sometimes you have to put that, you know, all of your energy into that in order to get to that place of recovery and that place of, um, healing. So, yeah, I think that's also something that I find myself reminding people a lot is that it's okay. There's no timeline. Um, you know, it's your life. You'll get there. You'll finish. You'll, you know, sometimes things come up and it delays our life schedule that we have in our head. <laughs> um, yeah. And that's totally okay. And, yeah. And, you know, that's something that I really love about the American culture is this idea that like, and this is not all families. I'm just saying like in, in general, it seems mm-hmm. like there's not, there's not, there's like no pressure to like be at a certain place or like make have this like timeline and that's it's a little bit more lax and that's what I, I love it because it's like so freeing you know like there's more choice there's no obligation like you're able to like decide okay this is what I feel comfortable doing right now and I'm going to go with that and and that's something that I really admire and like want you know with my future children is to be mm-hmm. able to provide that like not not so much of a, out of a sense of urgency but rather like this is comfortable and I like this pace and I like where I'm headed. Yeah, exactly. And I think, you know, I think it's gotten better over the last like decade. I I don't know from, I mean, from my experience growing up, I always felt like when I was younger, I always felt like I had to go to college right after I graduated high school. And I feel like nowadays it is much more, it's, it's extremely normal to take a year off of school between high school and college. And I think that also that, that year between high school and college is extremely important. Um, I think I find myself telling people, if you don't know what you want to do, take a year off, like go take a year off between high school and college. And then, you know, take that year to figure out what you want to do, what you like, what your passions are. Um, because it's a lot of pressure to go, you know, from high school to college to know exactly what you want to do. Um, cause for me, that was my issue. Like I said earlier, I, I don't know if I would have gone into elementary education if I would have taken that gap year to kind of yeah. figure out what it is I wanted to do, where my life was going, what I was passionate about. Um, but there was this pressure, but I do think it's gotten a lot 
more relaxed. I think that it's a lot more normalized to be like, take that year off um, or take a year off in between two years. That's what I did. I did my, my first two years um, in Ohio, which is where I'm from. I'm originally from Ohio. And then I, um, my boyfriend and I transferred to the University of Hawaii. So we moved to Hawaii and we lived there for about a year, but we took a year off. And honestly, I think it was that one year between like my sophomore and junior year where I was like, oh, <laughs> I've learned so much about myself. I have started my eating disorder recovery. I've realized so much about the lack of education around eating disorders. And that was kind of when I realized that I was making that transition out of elementary education and into eating disorder education. Um, so yeah, I think that giving yourself that time, you know, yeah. being able mm -hmm. to no, understand that it's your life. It's, it's your schedule. You'll finish when you finish. It doesn't matter how old you are, you know, as long as you're happy, um, mm -hmm. and you're doing what you love, that's, that's honestly what's most important. Yeah. And sure. I think like, I think like you're saying, like in the, in the last 10 years, things have become more like relaxed around like the timeline and stuff. And I think it's because mm -hmm. there's so much choice now, right? There's so many different avenues to make money and to like, make it quote unquote, make mm -hmm. it right. And so people have, people feel like there's more freedom around that. Like you can, you can, um, there's just so many different ways to like make yeah. it these days, exactly. you know? Yeah. And I think like social media plays a huge role in it. I think that yeah. there's some careers that most people don't even think of until, you know, you go on social media and you're like, Oh, this girl's doing this. Like that sounds like a dream. And then you're like, maybe I can do that. You know, and you get all these ideas from people who you follow from all over the world. And, and you're like, I want to be doing what they're doing. And I think that makes it really exciting because, you know, you're realizing, I don't have to go into a tr quote unquote traditional job. You know, there's all of these different avenues you can take in order to be successful and successful success is different for everyone. And I think that's also important, you know, right, for right. some people, for some people, they don't really success to them is being happy and feeling fulfilled. And for others, success is how much money they make. So I, you know, there's, there is a difference between, success. And I think that's also important to understand when you're thinking about what avenue you want to take and where you want to go. What is, what does success look like for you? Is that happy? And, and does that mean you're doing something that's fulfilling? Maybe you're not making that much money, but you feel successful because you're helping people and doing all of these things. For me, that was something that I got when I told everyone I was going back from MSW. It was like, are you sure? You know, there's not a lot of money in social work. <laughs> and I was like, well, for me, it's not really, obviously how much you make is important if you can survive and, you know, support yourself. But for me, I was like, I don't really know if it's all about the money. <laughs> for me, I think, you know, it's about educating and helping and supporting and empowering people who have been through some real shit <laughs> and are, you know, yeah. are, are in a place where they're like, I don't know what to do or where to go or who to talk to. Um, so for me, that was more important. Yeah. And I like that you, that, like, I think that's a really big, that's really important is like defining like what success means to you. Right. Mm -hmm. Because again, I think it's different for what our parents think is successful and like what our friends think is successful. And so in order to, I think like the question that you'd asked earlier was like how to work through that guilt, right? Mm -hmm. Is to like have these definitions for yourself, right? Because 
only you can meet your standard. And like, if you're comparing yourself to your parents' standard or you're comparing yourself to what your, your friend's standard, you're never going to feel satisfied. So if you're able to define your own core values and core beliefs and these definitions around what it means to make money, what it, what it means to be successful, then, then you'll be able to work towards that and feel satisfied and, and not feel guilty. Mm-hmm. 100%. Um, one other question that I had and, um, you know, I think this is something that I, I often get asked this and I, I, and I think it's really empowering to hear this from other people is, was there a time when you doubted yourself, um, whether that was, you know, before you started your master's, whether that was, you know, in high school or whatnot, was there a time when you doubted your ability to one, overcome that guilt and that shame? Um, or was there a time when you doubted your ability to become a therapist, um, and get to where you wanted to be? And how did you get through that? Yeah. I mean, I think so. Once I, after I finished grad school, I joined a, um, so I wanted to get my hours pretty quickly. So I joined a nonprofit and I did like really intensive family therapy and I wasn't paid well. And I was like, oh my God, is this going to be like my life? Mm -hmm. And I was really scared. I was like, wow, like, I can't believe I did all this school. And like, here I am, I'm like overworked, I'm burnt out and I'm like making nothing. And I was like very, I was very terrified. And so I was like, okay, like, what can I do to make the situation better? And I really had to sit and think, going back to like, what are my expectations of myself? Like, what do I want out of this career? Like, what do I want? Um, how much money do I want to make? Like, what is, like, what's important to me? And so I took a leap of faith. I was like, I'm going to try private practice and see what happens. I was like, I think that I can relate to people um, pretty easily. I have a, I have a degree. Um, I have a specialty in working with, you know, children of immigrants, South Asian background. Um, and I, I, I'm, I, I sort of went back to my roots of like, mm-hmm. I want to create a safe space for people. I want to be accessible. How can I make that happen? And so I, I just took a leap of faith and I was like, let me try this out. And it's, and it, it was difficult. Like, I mean, it's been a couple of years in the making, um, a lot of trial and error, right? Mm-hmm. Like knowing what works, knowing what not, what doesn't work. Um, and I finally was just like, it's, it was like, I had to t- keep telling myself to trust the process, right? Like things don't happen overnight. Um, you really have to be consistent and put the effort in. And um, Instagram, I think really helped too. I was like, okay, this is a platform that I can like educate and like, you know, have people see the work that I do, things that I'm really passionate about. And so the point of my Instagram really is like, I want to be as genuine as possible. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the key to social media is like, you can't be like, people can pick up when you're like being fake or if you're, if you're just trying to get a lot of followers, right? Like mm-hmm. my goal, I always think back to like my intentions and my goals and it's to educate, right? And like therapy is not accessible to everyone. And so sometimes, not that Instagram is therapy in any way, but it's a way to to sort of, it's a platform to help people think about something differently, Mm -hmm. right? And so I, what really helped me through that that self-doubt is like going back to the intentions, right? Going back to like, what's my goal here? What do I want to get out of this? And that kind of, it really, it like grounds you again and kind of helps Mm -hmm. you refocus. Yeah, I I mean I relate so much to a lot of what you said in terms of, you know, really having to step back and remind yourself of what are your why what's your why? And I find myself, yes. you know, I ask people that all the time, especially, you know, people that I work with either on my one with my one-on-one mentoring or people who are in my self-love workshop, all of the I find myself literally asking people all the time, 
what is your why? Why did you reach out to me? Why did you have this thought of, hmm, maybe I should get more advice on this? Why, you know, what is your why? And I think if you have a really strong why, it's really easy to kind of work through that doubt. You know, you start to have doubt and you can go back to that why. This is why I started this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. This is why I'm going, you know, trying to go where I want to go. Um, and so, you know, that's something that I find myself always asking people and always asking myself, especially because I doubt myself. I have days where I'm like, why am I doing this? Yeah, <laughs> like, me too. Why am I, <laughs> what am I doing with my life? Is this, you know, am I even making an impact, you know? And that comes, you know, you have that imposter syndrome and really just doubting yourself and, I, you know, have to constantly re-reflect on what my why is. Why did I start? Why did I get here? Um, You know, and for me, it's, it's a lot of times I imagine my my middle school self, you know, a little 10 year old, 11 year old Carly, who's like struggling with body image and, you know, doesn't see herself as worthy and compares herself to her friends and, you know, gets bullied and all of these things and then led to an eating disorder. So I think of my young self and I'm like, that's the why it's those young kids who, you know, don't fit the quote unquote normal body, you know, that we are told that we need to meet which is insane when you're in middle school. (laughs) to to have those standards already, but it's so, so important. And it's, it's very much happening. And, um, education around eating disorders in schools is like not there at all. But, um, anyways, yeah, I think that asking yourself that why is really helpful in helping you get through that doubt. Um, because like I said, imposter syndrome will get (laughs) you. Yes. (laughs) will eat you right up and you're like, how did I get here? <laughs> I was doing so well. And I let imposter syndrome really just take me, take me away. Um, so yeah, I think that's, yeah, I think that's so, so important. So for anyone listening, you know, if you're pursuing something that you're really passionate about, but you're at a place where you're like, what the hell, <laughs> what, am, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? Can I do this? I, I want you and I encourage you to step back and reflect on your why. Why did you start, you know, why are you where you're at? Um, and I think journaling that and writing it down is really powerful. Having it somewhere where you can see it um, when you're having those days and those thoughts of doubt is really, really important. So yeah, uh, what an amazing conversation. I think that you know, I was really excited and am am still very excited about this conversation with you because this isn't, I haven't really had this conversation yet on my podcast about, um, you know, someone who grew up with immigrant parents and having those feelings of, of shame and those feelings of guilt. And I think it's such an important conversation to be had. Um, And so I'm really thankful that you were able to jump on here and share your insight on that, share how you got through that, because I know that there's going to be people listening who are going to relate and who are going to feel really empowered to have those conversations with their parents um, and really put themselves in the position to do what makes them happy, which, you know, I, we, we both know that that's what everyone deserves. Everyone deserves to be happy and to be doing what they love. Um, 
so thank you so much for, for coming on here and having this conversation and really opening up to, um, you know, sometimes what can be difficult conversations. And also thank you so much for your work as a therapist. Um, (laughs) I really appreciate, you know, that what you're doing and your motivation behind what you're doing and allowing that safe space for people, um, to have those conversations and, um, to heal their relationships with their loved ones or their, their relationships with their family. Um, because, you know, for me, kind of like what you said, I never really saw a therapist, even through my eating disorder recovery, I kind of did everything solo. <laughs> and I, yeah. I did everything really on my own because I was afraid to see a therapist. I was afraid to admit that I was in a place where I needed to see a therapist. And now I'm constantly telling people, go see a therapist. Let me help you find someone who's perfect for you. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, I do think it's so important that people have that space to have those conversations, um, and to open up and feel safe and sharing things that they might not feel safe sharing with other people. Yeah. And I think that like, you don't like things don't have to be going wrong for you in order to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's just helpful to have a safe space to talk to someone about what's going on in your life. And, and it's actually like, really helpful to be in therapy when you're not in crisis because it's Uh easier to think about like your patterns your triggers and like really reflect on these things when you're not in crisis yeah um and it's it's more so preventative right like we Mm want to think about therapy in terms of it's like it's like your physical health right you go to the doctors every year for a checkup like same thing right it's like you want to think of therapy as preventative and then it's also there for you when you're in crisis exactly yeah and i'm and i like to look at it as like it seeing a therapist is really going to help you, you know, have those strategies and to combat that crisis a little bit easier, a little bit better when it does come up. Um, because you're already seeing someone, you're already talking about these strategies and these techniques and these, you know, different ways of healing and all of these types of things. And so I think that, yeah, seeing someone, even when you're not in crisis can help that crisis feel a little bit more, um, manageable, manageable. Yeah, exactly. When it does, when it does come up. So, um, again, thank you so much for that. Um, where can everyone find you? Yeah, actually, before we get into that, I just want to say, I really appreciate like your curiosity around like wanting to have someone who is a child of immigrants and like working Mm -hmm. with, you know, the South Asian community, um, as a white woman, I think that's Mm -hmm. like amazing. And I'm, I'm so happy to like be on this podcast and, you know, start to like raise awareness around it. Yeah. Thank you I appreciate so much. That. It's something that, you know, it's, I was talking to someone the other day about as a white woman, there are times when I've avoided conversation because there is that fear of saying something wrong or, you know, not being informed enough. Um, and over the last couple of years, I've realized I'm not going to get anywhere and I'm not going to learn anything. And I'm not going to be able to be an effective ally and support system for other people if I sit back and just ignore conversation. So a big thing for me recently has been having these conversations that can sometimes feel uncomfortable. And like I mentioned to you at the beginning before we really started the podcast was please correct me. Like I am so open to correction and I, I don't get offended. I was raised in an extremely white 
town, <laughs> very like <laughs> very white, uh, small town in the middle of Ohio, um, no diversity at all. And so there are things that I'm still learning. There's, you know, yeah. mm-hmm. and, and, and that's something that I think is beautiful that I have the opportunity to do that, that I have the opportunity to sit down with you and learn from you and, and listen to you and really be able to move forward in that uncomfortableness. Um, because I'm always telling people like, you're not going to grow unless you're feeling uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> like that uncomfortableness, so uncomfortableness really helps you to move forward and to grow as a person. And that to me is really important. So thank you so much for that. And, um, thank you again for being here. So where can we find you? Yeah. So, um, I'm on Instagram. My handle is reflections with a therapist. Um, or you can find me on my website. It's reflections with aparna.com. Okay. Um, yeah. Perfect. Yeah. I'll put it in the, the show notes at the bottom. I'll tag you um, so people can find you. But again, I'm extremely thankful to have come across your Instagram account. And like you were saying, Instagram is such a great resource, one for connecting. Yes. Um, I've met so many amazing people through social media, specifically Instagram. And I appreciate your page because like you said, it's really about providing a resource and providing a space space for people who might not, you know, be able to see a therapist or might not be able to go talk to someone. But, you know, I kind of look at my Instagram the same way. It's like my DMs are open, like send me a message, reach out to me. Um, because that's, that's really what it's all about for me. And that's exactly what I get from your page as well. It's like, there's going to be a lot of information that's going to be put out. It's probably going to feel overwhelming, but that's what a DM is for. Come send me a message because I'd rather you message me asking me questions about something I posted than to just read something and move on. Um, So again, I think that Instagram can be, there's a love hate relationship there, you know? (laughs) Yeah, definitely. (laughs) It's very, it can be very toxic, which, you know, is something I also talk about on my page a lot too. And, um, you know, I've also seen, you know, you talk about certain things like that. And I think that it's important for people to have pages and communities like yours, um, to learn and to ask questions because it's, it's, it's really, really important. So Thank you so much, Aparna, for taking a time out of your Friday to come talk to me um, and have this amazing conversation. Thank you for opening up and sharing your story and your experience. Um, Again, I appreciate everything you're doing. I appreciate the work that you're doing. Um, It's not easy. I am assuming to be a therapist. It cannot be easy. But you're, you're, I feel like the perfect person to be doing what you're doing. So I really appreciate you and your work. So, um, for having me, of course. And again, I'll put your tag down below and everyone can find you there. So thank you. (laughs) Thanks.